Hello, Fort Worth, and welcome to another episode of the Fort Worth Freedom Review. We're a show about local politics that aims to get more people engaged in local issues. Early voting for the runoff elections begins May 24th and runs through May 30th and then into June 1st. Election day is Saturday, June 5th. My name is Anthony Sosa, and today with me I have Amber Sosa to discuss the Star-Telegram mayoral candidate runoff forum. We're going to critique both candidates and their answers, as well as the questions asked by the Star-Telegram. All of the resources used will be provided below in the show notes. This podcast is made possible by the Justice Reform League, a Fort Worth-based nonprofit. You can sign up for our newsletter and get updates on Fort Worth political news and deep dives into local issues at our website, justicereformleague.org. Feel free to contact us if you have any episode ideas or additional information on any of the candidates on Twitter at FWReview and at FWFreedomReview at gmail.com. How are you doing, Amber? Great. How are you? Pretty swell. Looking forward to digging into this forum. I, someone posted this on Reddit, and so I was glad to come across it. I guess the Star Telegram a few days ago on May 12th. Um, held this online forum. It's about an hour long. We're going to give you guys the link below if you would like to watch it on your own. Uh, I kind of skipped ahead. They had some audio issues for the first six minutes or so, um, but they are about to introduce what the format's going to be like, and then we're just going to kind of let it go. To those of you who listen to your podcasts sped up, I am speeding this video up uh, 1.25% to help it go a little quicker for us. So if you are already listening to a sped up, it might sound particularly fast for you. So just a fair warning. Also, it looks like we are on the Star Telegram YouTube channel. Is that correct? That's correct. I did not realize the Star Telegram had their own YouTube channel. That's good to know. Well, apparently they've got 47,000 subscribers. All right. But this video uh, only has 476 views. So not a lot of Fort Worthians have seen this. <laughs> But we want to get it out there for you guys. We haven't watched it yet either. I, I put it aside so, so we could watch it on the podcast. I haven't watched it yet either. So we're going to, I'm curious to see how this goes. I was seeing some of the comments and people were like impressed with both candidates is kind of what I was seeing. Oh. So let's, let's, let's see what happens. Let's dig into this. Oh, I just realized that I don't have it set up to where our listeners can hear it. Hold on one second. Okay, let's try this again. All right. I think we figured it out. Yay, I can hear it. Yay. Yay. Candidates, thank you for joining us. Here's the format for today's forum. Candidates will have one minute each for an opening statement. I'll ask each question to both candidates, and they'll have one minute to respond. They'll be given signals at the 30-second and 15-second remaining uh, marks. If rebuttals are necessary, there will be a maximum of 30 seconds with a 15-second warning. At my discretion, I will ask follow-up questions of either or both candidates. Those will also be 30-second responses. Let's begin with opening statements. Ms. Parker, you're first. Good morning, and thanks to the Chambers and to Star Telegram for having us here today. Really well-organized event, as usual. I've used this phrase several times, but I'll use it again. I strongly believe that Fort Worth, Texas is positioned for greatness, and this election for mayor could not come at a more pivotal time for our city. Today's forum is focused on the most, most critical issues our community is facing, from economic development, education, and workforce. I am a small-town farm kid that had big dreams and an aspiration to make <laughs> sure I made this world better than I found it. I'm here today to continue that work. Over 17 years of experience in state, federal, and local public service, and now as the CEO of a local nonprofit focused on making sure our students have a successful career path in front of them. What nonprofit I'm is also CEO of? Um, oh, I don't have it right in front of me. We covered it on a previous episode. I know. I'm so behind. Um, let, me, let me pull up my notes real quick so I can have that uh, aside. 
for us. I don't remember the name of it. It's something in regards to getting youth into the like ready for the workforce and like college and mili like okay military readiness type stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna take forever for this gigantic Google Doc of all of our show notes to open. No, that's fine. I was just yeah. wondering what type of nonprofit it was. I'll provide that here in a sec. One of those people that, as you've gotten to know me, I have an unparalleled understanding of the smart policies that it takes to lead a community forward. Today's debate is really just that. It's an opportunity for both Deborah and myself to demonstrate our knowledge and commitment to Fort Worth, Texas. Lawyer we vibes. Quite well, and I think you'll understand that we are friends during and after because this city, it's really important that we understand what it means to unify a city to move Thank us you. forward and to be a beacon of hope across this country. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ms. Peoples. Good morning. I am so excited to be in this room today because, believe it or not, almost 40 years ago, I started my career with AT&T in this building. And so it's exciting to have come full circle. But let me tell you, there's a great saying that says, change is inevitable and change is constant. It is how you deal with it that is optional. We cannot afford to take the optional route here in Fort Worth. We are an extraordinary city that is growing by leaps and bounds. And we not only have to be visionary in how we see our city, but we have to be strategic about how we make our city grow. And that is what I plan to do for Fort Worth. Okay, so I'm noticing already like a, a kind of split in like how they're framing where the city is at, it seems. Yeah, definitely. So Maddie's saying that we're like, what did, what was the term she used? We're like ready for, we're like about to springboard for opportunity or like we're in this great moment where like all this prosperity is about to happen mm -hmm. or whatever. And it seems like uh, Deborah is saying we have an opportunity here to maybe put us in a new direction, try and, I, I don't know. So it seems like they disagree on this, the current state of Fort Worth. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, um, like I said, like I'm getting like some really serious, like, uh, like like Maddie's tone is very lawyerly and serious and like oh god like this is a very pivotal moment for the city like what are we gonna do and like she hasn't said anything about preserving the fort mm -hmm. or whatever um but like you know she is like I I don't know like her her overall tone just seems like oh this is like we're having we're about to hit like a rocky road for the city or we're yeah. in a rocky situation and Deborah is like like I'm so excited about all the opportunities that our city has and like she's aut automatically just like you know coming off as like very optimistic um you know like smiling and um excited about yeah Maddie's not smiling for, not for at all <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I think right now like at least in just the, watching the, the, these introductions like Deborah um is coming off as like a lot more personable and likable in my opinion um and warm mm -hmm. and Maddie is coming off as like cold I agree uh by the way for the for the, your question earlier so she's the CEO of Cradle to Career Oh, what um, an interesting name for a nonprofit. Which I think I was confusing that with a different school non oriented nonprofit that maybe a different candidate was doing. It was like something for K4, C4. I don't remember the, the a T4. I don't remember something like that. Okay. Um, but that's not her, I guess. So, yeah. So anyways, we'll continue. Are they putting babies in, in the workforce? Is that what? Well, yeah, it's preparing them to become, you know, great producers of worth and value for whatever company they become to work for once they graduate high school. Yeah, I just think the name is interesting. It sounds like they're getting like babies out of their cribs and they're learning <laughs> to walk and they're like, all right, you can walk now. Let's put you in a career. Like, yeah. 
you know, I don't know. You're right. No, the yeah, that's kind of, <laughs> that is an interesting. It's neither here nor there. It's just, just an interesting name. All right. Thank you. I want to start with a topic that's been in the news in recent days. Business groups and employ, employee, employers have raised concerns uh, that federal unemployment benefits are incentivizing some workers to stay home, especially in the uh, hard-hit hospitality-based businesses that are trying to recover from the pandemic. What can the city do to help businesses and workers better match up? People okay, you and me should answer this before we hear what, what, they, what their answers are, because this is currently a hot topic across the entire country Yeah, where both left and right media, both CNN and MSNBC and Fox News are kind of sounding the alarm that Americans are lazy yeah, and that they don't want to go back to work after getting checks from the government. The American work ethic is dying. Oh, it's no. dying. Or businesses could just pay people more yeah. and they won't have a problem with getting them to come back to work. True. Uh, there's an ice cream store up in the northeast east i forget in what state boston or, or massachusetts connecticut somewhere up there uh where they made their they made they raised their wages to 15 dollars an hour and they got a thousand applications in one day the owner said he stopped counting after a thousand um and ice cream stores are you know that's like the most teenager job you can get right or whatever yeah quote, quote unquote mm -hmm. um and so if it and that's the thing like right the right-wing narrative is oh they can't afford to poor people pay people $15 an hour. That's right. too much for the small business, like an ice cream store. Mm -hmm. um, but here is an ice cream store that was like, nah, we can do that. And then not only did they do that, they got a thousand people to come apply for the job. Yeah. And they're probably going to become like really competitive, like as yes. an employer. So, so the answer to this dude's question is local businesses can raise the minimum wage or the city could raise the minimum wage to help deal with that. But that's probably not what we're going to hear from either of these candidates. I would have to guess. Well, I mean, before we like listen to the candidates, like, you know, I know this is like such a hot debate and there are so many people that make, um, you know, even just like a little bit above, you know, $15 an hour. And they've been in, you know, they do hard labor, you know, um, I <laughs> my first like, quote, real job after graduating from college um, with a bachelor's degree was making $16 an hour working for a medical IT company located in Dallas. So. I think it's, you know, it's like I was making that much like with a college degree at the same time that my nephew was working as a security guard mm -hmm. and was making $14 an hour with, I think he was like 19 at yeah. the time, 18, 19, yeah. and like got a job making, um, you know, almost as much as I was making, mm -hmm. you know, with no degree, just barely graduated high school. And I think his only work experience had been working, like making sandwiches, like at mm -hmm. a, you know, some sort of subway or something, subway or something yeah. like that. Um, I think it was like, I don't even remember, it doesn't matter which one it was. But the thing is like a lot of people, um, you know, even, I mean, we have these conversations about needing to raise the minimum wage across the board and people automatically think about fast food or, um, you know, jobs that, are typically, you know, like where high school people, high school students are working. And, you know, first and foremost, like in the city and, and particularly like in, in rural areas as well, like those jobs are not only employed by, no. by teenagers, but also there are people that are working in like, quote, like professional jobs. You know, I was working for like corporate America making you know, $16 an hour as an account manager, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not even just an issue of underpaying employees that are working, in the you know, these, industry, for yeah, instance, yeah, yeah, service industry as well. I mean, well, that's like a whole, that's yeah, like yeah, a sure. whole but another saying, but situation. Fast food places are service industries. So yeah, like, they that's are. one, they but are, yeah, yeah, you're saying corporate America too. And I think what you're getting at is that 
if these if the minimum wage was raised up rather than having a negative impact, it would incentivize businesses in the corporate sector to pay their workers more. Because if their workers are like, bro, I could go down the street to KFC and make more money than I'm making here or about the same, then that puts power in the worker to, to argue and say, hey, you, I deserve more money because X job is paying this much, then you need to pay me this much. And so it has like a a cascading effect where it affects, you know, up across the board, not just. The... Well, I mean, I think that exact argument is the argument that a lot of employers use against raising the minimum wage. And what I'm and and that is and that's true. And they sh I mean, that not that not that they should be using that argument against the minimum wage. Like, I think that argument is a good reason of why the minimum wage wage needs to be raised. But what I'm saying is that people, when they hear about raising the minimum wage, um, you know, and people being underpaid, they think that we're only talking about like jobs that high schoolers want to yeah. work. And what I'm saying is that employees in the U.S. are consistently underpaid in all areas mm -hmm. of work. Mm -hmm. We're not so we're not just talking about a need to pay people fairly at these like menial jobs, as some people would say. I'm saying we need to look at paying people fairly in all sectors. Of course. And it's an issue in all sectors. Of course. So, like, I'm tired of hearing people talking about McDonald's, for God's sake. Like, you know, we're not just talking about McDonald's. Yeah. And when we reduce the issue to that, we're really overlooking all of these other jobs where people are still making starvation wages, yeah. you know. Or, or like when you were when you got your master's and you were looking at positions that required a, a criminal justice master's degree and you were finding places at like local prisons and stuff that were paying less than $15 an hour right, oh, for yeah. a master's degree. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to call anybody out, but like one of the biggest like mental health um distributor of services here in Fort Worth was looking at paying somebody with a master's degree like I think like $12 an hour to to do like one of the hardest jobs and working with like the hardest populations. Yeah. So so, so yeah. The, raising the minimum wage would affect those sectors of the economy too. Absolutely. Of the workforce, not just local fast food, you know, chains or whatever. Well, anyway, absolutely. Yeah. And like, and I mean, this is something that like I touched on with the conversation we were having with a friend yesterday. And I know this isn't like the point of our whole talk, but I think it's important for the listeners to know that like where the $15 amount comes from. And there is, a formula that economists use to average out like what the minimum wage could be raised to without um, increasing inflation across the board. And it's actually like I don't know the exact I can't think of the exact formula off the top of my head, but it's like, you know, essentially like you're using like, you know, like the highest, you know, pay rate and then like the lowest pay rate. And um, I think like percentage of people that are like working those those jobs and including like cost of living. And when you look at the entire U.S. and you're even including places like Seattle, where I think the minimum wage is like 20, 25 dollars an hour and places like Mississippi, where the minimum wage is like super low, um, you can use a formula to actually calculate what the what the minimum wage should be without increasing inflation. And I think for the entire United States with the highest numbers and the lowest numbers included, the number is $14.75 an hour. So it it may seem, you know, like a big jump for somewhere like Texas where we... <laughs> we're still at $7.25. We're still at $7.25 an hour, uh, below $8 an hour. Like that is a starvation wage. And so, um, and so it seems like a big jump for us, but like 
it, it really is the standard for the entire country. It's just that our state really sucks at paying people livable wages. Yeah. So we'll we'll get we'll get back to to the candidates, but yeah, I, let's I mean, see what the candidates. Can yeah. Do. I mean, it, there's just one final point. There is it, it. When everybody has more money in their pockets, they spend more money. So if the Fort Worth community is getting paid more of a living wage, if some people are actually making fifteen dollars an hour, they're going to go out and they're going to spend that money in the Fort Worth community. That's going to be better for the Fort Worth economy. But the business owners who can't afford it for the most part um, don't want to don't want to give away what they've got. And so I'm I'm curious to see what what they say. I imagine it's I don't know. Let's just see. So the first thing we have to do is make sure that we are paying our workers a living wage so that they feel valued go. and they want to come back to work. When we talk about essential workers, those are our doctors. Those are our uh, nurses. Those are the people that we need to be there. Those are our waiters and wait staffs and grocery clerks. And when they can make more money staying at home than they can coming to work, Ryan, we have a problem. The city needs mm -hmm. to be out there leading the charge to make sure that we are treating our workers fairly and that we are giving them opportunities to earn a living wage and bring great paying jobs here that will make people want to get up and go to work yeah oh maddie's mic got cut oh they're having audio issues is subtitles gonna work i guess not if there's no audio yeah well do they not sorry they guys I, it comes back i remember when I was flipping through this, that there was a, a moment. And unemployment of, no. numbers because oh, they've left completely. We also know how the desperate impact you've seen among Latino and black women-owned businesses, the real unemployment rate for them is over 14% in this country. In Fort Worth, Texas, let's focus a, a cross-section opportunity with our chambers here in Fort Worth to talk about what it means to bring all people back to work in Fort Worth. I agree with Deborah. We need to focus on a living wage. Let's stop the conversation about minimum wage in this country. And let's focus on what it looks like to reskill people so that their labor force is making $20 an hour, $30 an hour to really survive and make a living wage in this country. So... I'm glad she agrees with Deborah to an extent, but reskilling workers is implying the fact that, oh, well, they just need more education so they can get paid more. Not that they, not that everybody deserves a living wage. Well, and it also, I hate the term unskilled because like a lot of times people use like the word unskilled to talk about like the hardest jobs, like construction and like, yeah. you know, like other types of, of jobs such as that. And like, yeah, like if these, I mean, it is a skill of, to do any type of work. And so like, I think that I, I just don't like the term unskilled anyways. So, okay. So that's better than I was expecting. Let's see. That's fine. Let's, yeah. Let's I, I wish I had heard like what she said on the front end, the beginning, yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. More my. Oh. Not everybody's mic is off. What in the world? Great job, Star Telegram. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's not degree. The city oh, has that. to create a climate where those uh, residents feel valued and they can earn a living and thrive. Yeah, this is where we okay. differ. 71% of jobs by 2036 in the state of Texas will require some type of college. If we focus on minimum wage, we are losing the battle. We've got to make sure our adult workforce and our students sitting in classrooms today are prepared to be successful. And that is not a minimum wage. Uh, what, if anything, short of a, of a required minimum wage can the city do to incentivize businesses to pay wages that might entice workers back, Ms. Peoples? Good question. So I think one of the things that the, we have to make sure that we're supporting our businesses, especially our small businesses, Ryan. The majority of businesses, we talked about this, I talked about this with Annette. In many communities of color, the only thing standing between us and poverty are our small minority-owned businesses. And we have to make sure that we're supporting them so that they can pay higher wages, they can hire more people. And that is one of the things that I want to do is work with the chambers to make sure that we're reaching all of those small businesses that are the lifeblood of our city. 
So I can just give you an example. My daughter's taking a pause from college right now and she's working at a warehouse in Great Bunch. She's making $17 an hour. People are begging you to come back to work in the city. And I think we really got to refocus on what it looks like to really support businesses, small businesses especially. The second thing I'll tell you, and the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce has done a fantastic job of this recently, banding together with our small businesses to help be them fully supported and have that B2B relationship that we know really entices companies to do business together, focus local in Fort Worth, Texas, which absolutely has to happen right now as we emerge from COVID-19 stronger. That's how you pay people a living wage. Let's move to several questions on the. Okay. What do you think about all that, Amber? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not an economist. Um, so I don't, I mean, I, I think that obviously like if we don't have a like federally or state mandated raise in minimum wages, you know, there does have to be some, um, sort of enticement, I guess, like on behalf of small or on behalf of the city, like towards small business owners in order to get them to actually pay workers more here in the city. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'm kind of thinking maybe they're going to start doing like more grant programs like they've been doing. Um, I can't remember the name of the one that's See, like I mean, yeah. still literally going on. So, so it's basically like, like giving these small businesses more money in hopes that that is going to, dare I say, trickle down yeah. to the employees. Um and I, I mean, obviously, we can always be hopeful that that's the way that it works. Um, but I, I, I mean, I would, I would like to hear maybe like some numbers thrown. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I mean, they haven't worked out like a clear like policy plan for how to do this. But you know, I'd like there, to there to at least be some sort of oversight in whatever type of yeah. grant programs they do for these small businesses to ensure that they really are raising their wages i mean in yeah some i mean way, you know they, what i mean neither one of them really answered the question like yeah he, he was asking about what incentives could the city provide right and, and neither one of them really said um they were just like either you know yes uh minimum wage or no is maddie seemed to be kind of centering recentering the issue uh, around that yeah um there certainly are different things that you could do but again i think the power center in fort worth is around the big moneyed companies and industries that have been here for a while true um yeah that, we're not talking about small businesses we're not, yeah and yeah, so the we're small businesses about big corporations yeah and so the small yeah. businesses are not the not really the focus and haven't been the focus of fort worth for a long time they the both sides democrats and republicans like to tout saving small, small businesses, businesses but and protecting them but what that requires is either regulation by the government or the city mm -hmm. or uh financial incentives like giving them money and in either in either way um, they're not usually in the power to fight for that money necessarily, or, or certainly the, you know, regulations here in, in Fort Worth, like the city doesn't want to do regulations. They hate regulations coming from Austin. They hate regulations coming from, from DC. So, I mean, and, and just one other thing before we move on to this, I think it's just, this points out that there's a lot of issues that we have in this city and, and cities across the country that are bigger than the local government can handle, right? Yeah. There are issues that we need to fix at the state level, certainly. We're looking at just the abortion, I mean, abortion law that went by this week. There are so many issues at the state level. <laughs> um, but then also at the federal level, too. And so, like, yeah. some a lot of the issues that we see in, at the local level really stem from those things. And so it comes down to, like, what actually can we handle and what can we fix here in Fort Worth? Well, I mean, there have been other, like, municipalities across the country that have been like, hey, you know what? Like, our city, you know, of course, uh, Seattle, right? Yeah. Um, like you know what we can't wait for the federal government to come in and raise the minimum wage we're yeah, just going to raise our own minimum wage here in yeah. seattle i think they also did the same thing with like uh at the same time that they did that i believe they like stopped uh having their serve they they started giving service industry uh wait staff um 
a standard wage rather than like the two or whatever. Yeah, it's like yeah. 275, 274, 213 an hour. They actually started paying them an hourly wage and like did away with tipping in their just in their city. Just and the city. It, I don't know if it was voted yeah. on or and that type that, of but. stuff, like that's that is good small government, quote unquote, because you're just taking care of your things on the own at the local level. But unfortunately, our governor is not really about municipalities. Right. I can this see state. that. Yeah. Even uh, if it was even no matter who wins, like, I mean, even Betsy herself could, you know, be like, we're going to raise the minimum wage here in Fort Worth. And, and Abbott would just swoop in and be like, oh, you think you're going to do that? Like, yeah. So you know, obviously like there's not taking you know, away all of your funding for Fort Worth ISD. Like, yeah, it's all, it's connect. Everything's connected. These are big systemic problems for the most part. Um, it's not going to be a quick fix. Um, let's let's continue on the topic of equity. Mayor Betsy Price has said that her successor needs to focus on equity and particularly bringing more economic success to at risk neighborhoods. What would you do as mayor to bring more jobs and success to East Fort Worth where this is a particular issue? Ms. Parker. So I, I spoke about this to the East Fort Worth Business Association. We had a forum several weeks ago, and I use the term strike teams. You need to work with successful businesses across the city and pair them with community in East Fort Worth. And Man, I'm sorry. Just the, the term strike teams when talking about the east side of town just kind of makes me shudder a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm not really crazy about the terminology. Okay. Do you want to explain why? Well, because it's a community sorry, of <laughs> because it's a community of color predominantly, and that is what police have historically done is bring, you know, quote unquote, strike teams into these neighborhoods and, you know, oppress people. Uh, and, and that, it, it, I mean, she's, he, the question was regarding economic assistance, right? But, oh, we need to go in there and help people with strike teams. Like, I'm like <laughs> it makes me go, uh, I don't know. It's very imperialistic. It's very neoliberal, really. Um, we're we're going to go sure. in, we're going to roll in there and we're going to fix all this stuff. We're going to roll up our sleeves and just, with our strike teams of, of our intellectuals and our money and but, our, and our white saviors. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's, I'd cut her off. Let's see. That's yeah. let, let's, let's let her finish. Yeah. And really understand what it takes to really create business opportunities. I don't have the answers. I don't live in East Fort Worth. <laughs> Deborah probably has some more answers because she lives there. The important thing is here is the city has a moral responsibility <laughs> to refocus what it looks like to have economic development across this entire city. East Fort Worth specifically and South Fort Worth, we understand what the workforce labor force looks like. That's where reskilling is absolutely going to be critical. How do you lose vacant, use vacant land, entice employers to come and move their businesses into East Fort Worth? And lastly, this is about collaboration. There's this, there's this concept of, and when you talk about equity, you also have unity across the city. And I think today's example is fantastic. When you have three chambers that have come together to really talk about policy in the city. It's a monumental task. Thank you for doing it. And we're going to keep doing that work in East Fort Worth. Thank you. Ms. Peoples. So, Ryan, it's simple. We need to stop talking the talk. We need to walk the walk. For too often, communities like East Fort Worth, where I do live, and North Fort Worth have gotten lip service about this thing about unity and equity, and we don't see it happening. We don't see it happening in supporting small businesses. We don't see it happening in opportunities in our schools. There are so many things that we could do if we would stop just giving it lip service and reach out and do it. The city is focused on a few specific... Okay. Let's 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 finish. Let's see if he's going to ask another question. It sounded like it sounded like it might. Specific neighborhoods in the neighborhood improvement program. That's a slightly different from the economic mm -hmm. growth. But are there areas of the city that you would try to target for those kind of programs, Ms. Parker? Yeah, neighborhood improvement program. Okay. So I mean, I, I don't know. De Deborah had the right sentiment. I feel like, but she didn't answer the question either. 
She didn't say. She didn't give any policy ideas. She just said we got to quit walking the walk and start. Yeah. To, or talk, we got to quit talking the talk and walking the walk. Yeah, but what does that mean? What does that look like in the neighborhood? And like Maddie, like gave her, she laid that up. She's like, I don't even know. I don't live over there. That's not my place. Deborah, go for it. You know, like. But if she were to be mayor, it would very much be her no, 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 place. No. I know, but like, I'm talking about in a debate format, which I guess this is a debate. I don't know. Well, so it's a forum. See, I but I got like, I get what she was doing there, you know, because I mean she was. A essentially saying like that's not i don't know anything about that sure and that's fine but that is like like uh, what was the word i'm looking for like succeeding the point like you're right. like you're giving her the win on this question and so deborah could have like struck that out of the park she could have hit a whole run by actually giving some real policies yeah because uh, maddie like abdicated that option yeah. but she didn't she just didn't really say anything it just kind of gave platitudes and didn't answer it so that i feel like it was a missed opportunity yeah, it was definitely uh, a missed opportunity on, on Deborah's part. But like I thought like and at least in I I don't know, like I guess Maddie did answer the question better than Deborah, which is weird <laughs> because like she did name some things that she herself has been, you know, like a program that she's working in or whatever. Yeah. Um and then didn't try to say that she knew what was best for that yeah. area of town, which are like neighborhoods of color which is the right move which is the right move yeah but at the same time you know like i it i thought that that was a little bit weak and maybe she yeah. could have done it differently because yeah. like the reality is you know if you're going to be mayor of fort worth you're going to be mayor of all of fort worth yeah not just the neighborhood that you live in yeah and you do need to have some <laughs> ideas yeah. like for what we can do to build up these neighborhoods that are um you know that have been left out in the past you know so like to me it just kind of makes it seem like oh well you know not my neighborhood not my problem per se you know mm -hmm. like even if she does win like she still she needs an i yeah. some sort of idea yeah. both of them do yeah absolutely <laughs> either of them do yeah and you just would i would have expected deborah to have a better answer yeah so. i would have too. absolutely so i'll give you an example in district five right now 82% of kids are living in D and F schools. Compare that to District 7, where 0% of your students are in a D and F school. That's where you focus. Stop 6 was our first neighborhood improvement area. We've got to continue that work across the city with parity. I'd love to see double money going into that program every single year. And it may be more when this next round of CARES Act dollars comes to Fort Worth, Texas. Infrastructure, streets, sidewalks. The broken windows theory is absolutely true, not just for policing and community, <laughs> but it's true for economic development. No, no we need it's to not. The communities that need us most, and data is telling that story. And I can't no. wait to hear it. What the fuck? And credit to our city manager, Dave David Cook, who joined us from North Carolina and brought that initiative here to Fort Worth, Texas. Oh my God. Okay, sorry. I'm getting no. Yeah, this. broken broken windows broken policing windows has been debunked. Is such a huge issue. It's such a huge issue. It's contributing to a lot of the problems in the criminal justice system. What is in the broken world? Windows it policing. is the problem with the criminal justice. I mean, system. it's one I mean, of the problems. Huh. Well, but I mean, it is the it is it's contributing to a lot. It's led. It's brought us to where we are today. Hundred percent. Like wow. Like boo. So okay. So that uh, that aside, she made the argument that like schools in this district are bad schools, and schools in this district, you know, uh, like city district, not school district, um, are are better schools. That has to do with the distribution of funds for Fort Worth ISD. Yeah, that's not really a city thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that is like a separate thing that it, there, there's problem in our education system of, you know, inequality for sure. Uh, and that is just seen here in Fort Worth, just as in any other urban center. 
Uh, and so there, you know, our schools are pseudo segregated, you could say, I mean, depending on what school you're talking about, like, uh, they're depending on what middle schools you're talking about and then where they choose to go to or where they're able to go to high school after they leave that middle school, depending on what part of town you're talking about. Yeah. They're, they're feeding whites one direction and Latinos and African-Americans into another direction. So that, you know, this is when we talk about systemic racism, this certainly exists in the education system as well. So what she's referring to there to me isn't indicative of like a neighborhood problem with Fort Worth. It is indicative of a education system problem in Fort Worth ISD. So I just want to make that distinction clear. Let's 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 keep rolling. Okay. So Ryan, this is where Maddie and I differ. You can keep talking about these things, but we haven't seen our leaders do anything about them. There are areas in East Fort Worth. There are areas in North Fort Worth. There are areas in South Fort Worth that have historically been systematically uh, left out of the equation. And until you get a leader who is going to focus on those areas and stop spouting platitudes about what we need to do, you need a hands-on leader, we're going to see those uh, communities continue to suffer and not thrive. My plan is to look at those specific uh, underutilized neighborhoods and focus on them. And you won't hear me spouting statistics. You're going to see me hands-on in the community, working with the Black Chamber, working with the Hispanic Chamber, working with the Asian American Chamber to make sure that we're providing those opportunities. So um, I I appreciate Ms. Peoples' position here, but the city has been doing the work. They started in Stop 6, they moved to Northside, Ash Crescent, Rosemont, and Alcoma. We are focused on data. What I'm simply saying is you need to double down efforts in the city of Ford. I've sat in the room and understood how complicated those decisions are made. They have not been political. We have focused where communities need us most. We have to continue that work here in Fort Worth to be successful. Why is that uh, happening? Uh, I don't know. The audio is going, going nuts out there. But she said the decisions are not political. That is like either the most naive statement that I've ever heard or it is like intentionally disingenuous. Like everything is political. Every decision that is made at the city level is political in some way, shape or form, yeah. which is why your elected officials are so important who these people ended up being because the decisions they make affect all of our lives on a regular basis here at the city. And so, no, it is 100 percent political. Well, and and also, like when you say that this isn't the issues in these neighborhoods aren't political, it takes the, um, I guess, like responsibility off of the city and puts it off on the individuals that live in the communities Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. is essentially blaming the people that are living there for the poor living conditions and not, you know, acknowledging that like the city has played a historical role and yeah you know in I mean, that any, process anytime like, sorry well just in in the process that has led these neighborhoods to be in the conditions that they're in yeah i mean anytime anyone takes that position of like oh this isn't a political issue or i'm not being political it's just inherently upholding the status quo it's just like because of your privilege you can't even see the fact that this actually is political it's just not political to you from your position but right. you're not taking into consideration maybe other people that are affected by that and that is where it's political. Yeah. Well, and also like, you know, her coming in and saying, oh, the city, you know, like it seems like she just like took it really personally that the city hasn't done anything for these neighborhoods, you know, because yeah. she's well, like, she's been working for Bessie. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, like rather I thought that was like a really weak comeback on her part um, because a she obviously like took offense that the city hasn't done enough work or whatever. Um, and, you know, she could have answered that a lot differently, yeah. I think. Well, again, I just say go back and look. I mean, oh my God, the audience that have been historically deprived and talk to the people who live in those communities. I'm go. out there every day. They have a much different perspective. Unfortunately, they have a much different perspective and they're living a much different reality. And so I'm just going to say we've got to do things different.
uh, move on to the next question. I thought uh, that was how would you promote strong. more diversity in the uh, city business leadership? And what would you do to draw more leaders in that are more representative of the entire city? Ms. People, we'll start with you. So that really goes back to what I talk about is one Fort Worth. You have to have many voices at the table. You have to include people from all communities at the table. The table uh, shouldn't be smaller. The table needs to be bigger. And so I believe, you know, we, I tell everybody, we all have historically neglected our, our, our Latinx community. We mm. need to bring those mm. voices to the table. Fastest growing ethnic group in Fort Worth, our Asian American community, our Black American community, we need to make a concerted effort to be sure that we are including people in these discussions. And it starts with initiatives like Steer Fort Worth. It starts with initiatives like Leadership Fort Worth and Leadership ISD. We should never have programs that have uh, 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 one African American and one Latinx uh, citizen sitting in those programs. Ms. Parker. So I think we start at the city. We do a great job at our department head level, but middle-level management, we don't have the right diversity talent that we need to really focus on. They are at City Hall right now. We need to invest in those talented young folks to make sure they can grow up in the ranks of City Hall. You look across the city, and I met with a group of Hispanic business leading females. What's she talking what, about? What's she talking about? She's saying that City Hall is currently, the middle management at City Hall is currently diverse? I think that's what she was saying, <laughs> and that they are they're diverse and they are are skilled in the and that we should be giving more support to the diverse middle member management? middle management at city hall so they can move up the ranks okay what about that's really weird. other parts that's a of weird the city. point okay yeah <laughs> yesterday and talked about their struggle wait, to really wait, 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 in this community wait okay i just got it okay so she's saying oh i know people of color and they work at City Hall and they're good at their jobs. And we should, these are the only people of color I know. So I'm going to use this example of how these people of color should be moved up. I, it's the same as, yeah, it's that, the same. I have a black friend. Yeah, that's. I know a black person <laughs> that will hear right. from white people over and over and over again. I think you're right. Cause that's the only thing that makes that statement make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> That okay. was her I have a black friend moment. Wow. Yeah. Good job, Maddie. And they would just tell you they'd not always feel welcome at City Hall. They didn't feel access. There wasn't transparency there and opportunity. We're going to change that in my administration. I've done the work. Let's roll up your sleeves and get, and, and get it done. The last thing I'll mention is this. We are a young city. The average age in Fort Worth, Texas is 34. That bodes incredibly well, especially as who will be your next millennial mayor at 37 years old. Thank you. So you were asking about the city staff and especially city leadership and, and whether the diversity is adequate enough. And if not, what specifically is mayor? Again, because you don't have hiring power, what do you do to try to improve that? Yeah. Ms. Parker, go ahead. So I think it, it you don't have hiring power. We're a city management form of government, but I've worked on the CMO team for five years before my current role. And I think you have to understand that you need to be a place of business where people want to come and work. Talent attraction is key, especially in a municipality, especially when the job market is really stiff right now and talented people can go work anywhere. Um, I think the move to a new Pier 1 building at City Hall will be incredibly exciting. What do our, what do our um, recruitment efforts look like? There are private sector businesses here in Fort Worth that do a fantastic job that we could really lean on to understand what it looks like to have that same talent attraction strategy within the city of Fort Worth. And it's in every single department. We talk about policing, our fire department, the water department, economic development, all those organizations within the city are small businesses within a larger one. It's really critical we understand no. what it looks like to have a talented workforce that works for Fort Texas. No, 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 no. The fire department is not a small business. No. The, 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 the police department is not a small business. No. It is a government entity. Yes. That is paid for by tax dollars. There's no financial incentive. There's no profit motive. 
They're, it's not profitable to to pay a bunch of firefighters to sit around all day and wait for a fire. I'm sorry, that's not it's profitable. It's not supposed to be profitable. That's not the point of it. It's not, not no. to make money. Small businesses, they exist to make money. That's why a small business exists. They exist to make money. Yeah, cool. That's great if they provide a service for the city. But every business in this nation exists to make money. Yes. So to compare city services like the bus system to a small business is is insane is insane that is illusion i'm sorry like i i almost paused it when she first started talking because she threw out i don't remember the word that she used but she was like oh the business here in fort worth like referring to the city as a business i was gonna wait what but she even like went even further than that to compare like all of the city services to small businesses i'm sorry there is a big big distinction they're two separate sectors of the economy the public sector and the private sector those are two different things yeah i am trying to teach my students this at high school get them to understand the difference between what part of our lives is run by the government and what part of our lives is run by private entities who exist to make profits Uh, And and people are confused about those things, especially young people. And obviously adults are, too. And so apparently adults who are running for the city, running for mayor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's insane. I I think it's really like, um, I guess, like capitalist realism um, where Americans, not all Americans, but particularly some Americans just have this like sickness in their mind where like they see everything through the lens of like whether it could be a business or not, or whether it could be profitable or not. And not, yeah, like I mean, exactly like you just said, like that's like saying, oh, you know what? Like like Fort Worth ISD isn't really turning enough coin for the city. Exactly. So I mean, that's why- How edu- can we make Ugh. Fort Worth ISD into like a, a profitable business? Like yes. to say that, you know, that firefighters should be making a profit for the city. It, it, it's just completely insane. I, I can't believe that, that she said that. And I- I mean, even for her, like, and how much I, you know, I'll just say I don't care for her as a candidate, never have. I, if I had to have a Republican candidate, I honestly wouldn't pick Brian Byrd over her. Um, But the fact that she can't even tell the difference between like what should be profitable and what shouldn't be profitable and how that, you know, ultimately will impact our entire city and community is um extremely disappointing yeah. and i will say shocking like i'm shocked i mean like again it's either it's either you're incredibly naive and ignorant but if you've worked for the city for eight years i don't think that's the case then you're just lying you know then you're just lying and framing the, the thing in a completely wrong way in, in bad faith um and the other thing that she's saying is she, using private entities private companies to staff the fire department to staff Why? the police department because that's what she's claiming it w- is going to be beneficial these partnerships with other private companies here in fort worth to, to, to work with the city in hiring for the city that's what that's essentially what she was saying there so like i don't know like does that mean like lockheed is gonna be like hiring and firing our law enforcement officers now I mean, like how's that gonna work out yeah i don't i i, <laughs> I mean i guess i'd imagine it'd be hopefully staffing that's in, firms that's rather insane. than a, a military thing but who, who knows okay i'm sorry what, I just what got other really... private business would be like like i i just can't even i can't even look at i mean this is why every there's no problems in everywhere this is why there's problems in in the we, university system is because universities are being forced to have to be profitable right when they're supposed to be provided it's just public public service. by the state yeah the same thing with our healthcare system because there's a profit motive in every corner of the healthcare system everyone's trying to make their buck especially the insurance companies um, the, the service for the people ends up not actually serving the people right. because it's riddled 
with all of these people just trying to make a buck. Okay, anyways. So, Brian, this is not about talent attraction. And I, Betty, I, I disagree with you on that. You have extraordinarily talented people working at City Hall right now who don't feel valued and who have not been allowed to progress up through the ranks. And so this is never, this is not about attraction. This is, I'm so tired of people saying we can't find qualified minorities for these jobs or we can't find qualified women. They are there. We have deliberately stymied some of their growth and their rise. And so we've got to go back and first acknowledge that, that we have talented people and then sit down and I know I don't have hiring power, but I need to talk to David Cook about, we need to be very deliberate about encouraging and growing the employees that we have there. How would you try to uh, get more diverse employees on a, on a promotion track? Is there a specific way to do that? So this is what I did for 30 years. I was good at, at finding talent. And so you have to find talent, but you have to support them. You can't just say, this is a great person with an MBA. You have to delivery set out and create opportunities for them. You have to give them opportunities to lead. I know how to build great talent and I will be a resource to David Cook. If he doesn't know how, I can share some of my best practices. Ms. Parker. So I'll give you an example at City Hall. I had my last child, Lainey, who, um, while I was pregnant working for the mayor, and I realized while I was there, there was no maternity policy at the city of Fort Worth, and there was no nursing room at the city of Fort Worth. I was lucky to have a door I could close. Those policies matter. We were losing women in the city attorney's office, for instance, that didn't feel supported to have children and really stay at the city of Fort Worth. We, I do agree with Deborah. There's incredibly talented people that are at City Hall, that are outside the building, that would love to work there, but we are not an employer they're excited about, and we're going to change that with right policies that work for all people, regardless of skin color. It's about being smart and competitive in a really, really competitive workplace environment in North Texas. Uh, what? How did we get on to like only talking about about city hall employees? <laughs> I I think his question was vaguely about employment in the city, and maybe Maddie just meant Maddie made that the, as like the city, the, the city. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 And that's when she was like, "Oh, I know people of color that I mean, work for the city, city hall." Like, the city. I mean, the city's not a small. It employs what, like ten thousand people or something like that. I don't know how many. I mean, people if you it take employs, all, I mean, but I mean, I know City Hall it, doesn't but... employ that. Yeah, many. no, City Hall. Yeah, so City Hall is a small. Specifically talking about City, city Hall, Hall, like yeah. when the city has like tons of other employees. Like, there's. Yeah. Uh, we keep coming back to this like City Hall example. Like, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Uh, are is the whole community of Fort Worth like really that concerned yeah. <laughs> about? How City Hall is intriguing. I know we got a small town vibe here, but like the whole city doesn't work at City Hall. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like uh, like rural Texas where everybody works for the city or for the school district. (laughs) Grade would you give to the city's response so far to the recommendations of the Race and Culture Task Force of a few years ago? And which remaining recommendations would be your highest priorities, uh, Ms. Peoples? So I'm going to give them a C because I believe the Race and Culture Task Force did an amazing job. and, And I was critical of them, but I think they did an amazing job of coming up with a very clear, concise plan to get the city back on track. And then city leaders immediately turned around and started uh, modifying their recommendations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. When you put a power in the hands of the people and you say, I am trusting you to tell me the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and say, oh, great job, but I don't like that. So I'm going to change it. I think good leaders put hand, put power in the hands of people they trust, and then they come back and execute. And so one of the things I want to do is go back and visit that report and to start executing on what the recommendations that they made and not changing the recommendations. Your citizens lose faith in you. True. So are there specific ones that would be an immediate priority? Absolutely. I want to go back and look at public safety. Some of the things they talked about around public safety. I also want to think of some of the things around education because that was a far-reaching recommendation from them. And I think there are things there that we need to be doing. Oh, she didn't say it. She didn't say it. I wanted her to say that we need a full community 
oversight board for the Fort Worth PD that is independent of the <laughs> city manager's office. Yep. And well, you know, we only it. had one candidate who was going for that. That's true. It was Ann Zeta. That's true. But I, I can't believe she didn't say it. Like, she should have <laughs> said it. Like, I guess, like, when she said, quote, public safety, was that code for community oversight board for Fort Worth PD that is independent of the city manager's it's, office? It's hand waving to where if you want to believe that's what she's saying, <laughs> you can believe that. Ugh. I mean, it was I don't still think class is over yet. Was that, that project is ongoing. I know that the Human Relations Commission has been tasked with the important role of taking on those recommendations in the community and working al alongside Christina Brooks and the Diversity and Inclusion Office. Um, there are very specific ways we have to continue the work. One, and, and, to, and to reference public safety, we know that we hired Kim Neal, our police monitor's office, and she's in that process right now as a professional. We've tasked to make recommendations to city management and to the, the council and mayor. The second <sighs> piece is on education, which absolutely that work continues. City Hall is not going to be the end-all be-all for change. Collective impact works. And I think we'll probably get to education in a moment. I can talk to you more about that. The organization that I run at to and through the work at Reed Fort Worth, our countless nonprofits from Girls Inc. to Boys and Girls Club, all of us working together. That's how you really make change um, for students across Tarrant County. And the last thing is economic development. I have full. She, the question wasn't about education in general. The question was about the, the race and culture, culture task, task force, force in regards to education, Maddie. Full faith in the ability of the leaders that are sitting in this room to help us refocus coming out of COVID 19. It is go time in Fort Worth, Texas, and we're going to make a difference. So she just didn't answer the question. I think she probably doesn't have a lot to say about it. You know, yeah. I mean, I think she doesn't. You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, she she that was like a, a total deflection. Mm -hmm. And rather than explaining what she thought like should be changed or should not be changed about the race and culture task force and their recommendations, she said, you know, it's not up to the city and the race and culture task force to make these changes. It's up to community members. So once again, you yeah. know, we have like the same position that she kind of brought forth earlier, which is like it's not up to city government to solve these problems it's up to individual people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like the whole personal responsibility yeah. thing and it's I mean, not the responsibility yeah. of the city it's the responsibility of individuals exactly i mean it's the it's the traditional small government perspective it's like okay the government's not here to help you or provide for you pick yourself up by your own bootstraps but the government is here to create you know financial profits for companies and to deregulate and to let them do everything they can to help them out oh and if we need to bail companies out or x y or z and provide socialism for the rich but rugged individualism for the poor that's what we do so, yeah, it's just more of that. More of the same. Sounds like Betsy well, Price. Yeah. Black-owned businesses in Fort Worth have sometimes struggled to get off the ground and then survive in, in difficult economic challenges. What specific steps would you take to help Black-owned businesses in Fort Worth? Ms. Parker. So there's a few different organizations across this country that are doing some important work here and focused at, at a local policy level. Um, one is called Right to Start. And one of the top recommendations they had is lowering the barrier of entry for small businesses, especially minority-owned businesses, to do business in your city. The second thing they do is free to compete. They want to prohibit any kind of red tape at City Hall. We've got to do a close examination of what are we doing to really prohibit a small business owner, especially minority-owned business owner, from opening. I had a conversation with a really well-known restaurant owner here in Fort Worth a few, a few weeks ago, and he told me that the barrier is so significant for a young restaurant or a young chef to start a business. It's over $200,000 on his count to really open a business, open a restaurant in Fort Worth, Texas. Yep. That impacts negatively the diversity and cultural experience in Fort Worth. If you can't have, in this case, it was a young Thai chef that wanted to start her business um, in the south side of Fort Worth. We've got to get into get into the trenches to understand what that looks and impact. And there's three people sitting in front of me that I think are going to have to help us lead through that. So, Ryan, I'm not here to beat up on anybody. The question was about Black-owned businesses. And she brought, up a, Thai brought up a Thai immigrant, which, of course, we should be talking about everybody, but she didn't even answer the question. Yeah. Like, because the only black people she knows work at City Hall and she doesn't know any black owned business owners. Can that be the situation? It's interesting. 
And so Deb Deborah's started off here saying that she's not going to beat up on anybody, which makes you go, what? <laughs> this is one, I want one for work. But I'm here to tell you, we don't need to go looking at organizations around the country. We have a black chamber that's right yeah. here with a president who has struggled for years yeah. just to get help for black businesses. Why are we not listening to the people in this city that are telling us what they need? Why are we not listening to these young black entrepreneurs that are telling us they need help and we're ignoring them? It doesn't take a study. It doesn't take, I mean, Maddie was at City Hall for five years. Dee Jennings has been raising the clarion call for over 40 years and he's been ignored. We have to listen to the people in this city to make these things work. Ms. Parker, do you want to respond to that? I think I would just say that I think policy matters. There are best practices across this country. And I'll give you specifics. Um, some of these things that actually pertain to the way you do work at City Hall and you assign contracts. If you if you make a policy, and I'd be willing to do this at City Hall, where 5% dedicated government procurement ever every five years goes into BBE practices, and they're actually matching them with well-known contracted businesses across this city. I do think that in Fort Worth, sometimes we struggle. When the gun goes off at the proverbial starting line, you're in the starting blocks. There are other cities that take off and run. And Fort Worth turns around and looks at each other and say, what do we do now? It is go time in Fort Worth. So, Deborah, I do disagree with you. We have to look outside to what other cities are doing successfully. But, Ms. Peoples, do you want to talk about that? Again, they're, they're kind that of That was talk, kind of a gish gallop. They're talking past each other. They're making two different points. Yeah. Um, looking outside of the city for solutions is one thing. Looking for help from organizations outside of the city is a different thing. And she argued initially saying, well, there's these these national organizations that are helping cities at the, at the local level. And Deborah's saying, we've got plenty of organizations here that you can use to help. And she's listening to the people that are actually trying yeah. to, you know, open businesses yeah. here in Fort Worth that are of color. And then Maddie turns around and says, well, no, Deborah, we actually do have to look outside of our city because we don't do as good as other cities. Well, I but that's fucking, not what the argument was. That's where, not what she was where was that yeah. argument when they were hiring a new fucking police chief, though? You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, what? Where was that argument when we were looking at Derek Miller, an amazing candidate for police chief yep. from Fort Worth, but currently police chief of like Carrollton? It was Carrollton. Carrollton, and then. It was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, Neil Noakes is from this. He's already on this police force. And, you know, we know what we're doing here in Fort Worth. Like, we know what's best for us. Like, yep. like where was that? Where was the whole the optimism yeah. at looking outside then? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Uh, issue of, of contracting and whether the city does enough to bring in minority-owned businesses? Oh, no, they don't. I will tell you right now. And so let me tell you, that is why I have, Ryan, I'm unveiling a plan to end dark money lobbying in the city of Fort Worth. Okay. We're the largest city in Texas that allows dark money laundering, and we can't lower taxes and doing some of these things without knowing who's influencing the money at City Hall. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, when I am mayor, my first 100 days is going to be dedicated to ending dark money lobbying at City Hall. And I think any leader, any mayor has to be willing to do that because we're not going to move forward until we know who's lobbying us for the money and where that money's going. And Maddie, I hope you would agree with me on that. Yeah, that's an easy change. You know, the Texas Ethics Commission does that for your state, your state lobbyists. Just do the same thing here in Fort Worth, Texas. But I'd remind you that the lobbying doesn't happen in the procurement process. That's a very separate process the state legislature puts into place and the cities have to abide by. And now's the time to really get in the trenches and understand what is prohibiting a business from being even eligible in that procurement process. Uh, how can the... <sighs> that wasn't really... I mean, the, that the, the, wasn't the whole really thing. the answer to the, the no, question. No, I mean, her last, no, her last 10 seconds, no, it was just like a completely different topic. But like the whole dark money thing, like it, what it comes down to is how do you define dark money? Yeah. Um, are you talking about just transparency or are you talking about prohibiting money coming in from certain parts of the country, like other states or certain 
sectors of the economy or industries? Like, what exactly are you talking about? Um, I, I think that's an interesting question, an interesting topic, and I feel like neither one of them really wanted to like talk about it. <laughs> well, maybe I, they don't have a maybe they don't have a a, a, a a thought out thing or something. I don't know. That's that's a good question. I'm curious how it would turn out. Like, would that who would that negatively impact? Well, the way that she even presented the idea of like dark money laundering and you know procuring, I think she meant to say lobbying. Well, yeah, lobbying, but she did say laundering. Yes, yeah, but like I mean, I think she's saying that like like money is influencing um, what businesses are being brought into Fort Worth. I thought she was talking about elections, like. But his question, I Uh, thought, was. Does Fort Worth do enough to bring yeah, black right. owned businesses and, yeah. from out of the city? That's right. And, and, and she, she turned it started into something talking else. Yeah. about dark money and politics. Um, yeah, you're right. Which I don't. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that isn't. Well, I mean, that's a the thing. Factor, it, hap- but it happens like, in every city in the country, though. I mean, like if you just look at the Georgia Senate races, there was like all of this money coming in from that. From so, I mean, it, but both for political inviting parties inviting businesses. So, no, like, I, th- I think she just completely changed the question. I don't think it has anything to do with businesses. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fact that she brought that up, like as an answer to that question, is her suggesting that dark money in local politics is playing a role in whether or not the city is bringing Black-owned businesses in from outside. I mean, she's obviously making a connection <laughs> between okay. those two topics. She, I guess she just didn't make it very well because I missed that. I didn't catch that. Okay, let's see. Let's see what's going on. The city become more attractive to young Black and Hispanic professionals, and how can we keep those homegrown talents here in Fort Worth? peoples absolutely by supporting them i tell people all the time as a daughter who spent time in atlanta i don't want atlanta to be known as the black mecca for young amazing entrepreneurs it needs to be here in fort worth but ryan that means we have to very deliberately and strategically show these young entrepreneurs of color whether they're black or brown or asian that we're going to support them we need to have the resources to help them uh to help them thrive we don't need to have them chasing us around to find out information we need to be in the communities holding forums having Having listening sessions like I have been doing with them so that they get to tell us what they need. We don't get to tell them what we're going to give them. Can you give me an example or two of the kinds of things you've heard in those sessions? Uh, so many people feel locked out of the city bidding process, and they feel that the city of Fort Worth historically picks favorites. They pick one or two entrepreneurs, and they become the color du jour of the year. We need to spread these opportunities out. There's brilliance all over our community, young, black, white, Asian entrepreneurs, and we have to stop picking and choosing who gets the money and who gets the favor. Ms. Parker. In Fort Worth, we have to enhance our infrastructure and support for small businesses and entrepreneurs across this community. We have fantastic examples, and I've talked about these already. Um, things like Tech Fort Worth that are on a shoestring budget that are really creating the next next level of biotech entrepreneurship in Fort Worth. You need an incubation system that works. You need innovation that works. We lose young talent every single day to go to cities like Denver or Miami or Austin because they feel supported. It's also included, you also have to include um, access to capital, um, early stage capital to start your business and be successful here, here. I'd be a huge proponent of capital funding here. I've got an X, sorry. <laughs> Uh, but how about uh, uh, you know professionals, maybe not entrepreneurs, but you know folks who are looking to climb the corporate ladder? How do you well, convince one them of the to top things home? that they've addressed to me is we need an entertainment district that's exciting and fun besides West Seventh Street. Um, and if the city of Fort Worth needs to incentivize <laughs> those opportunities, let's do it. Because let's be let's be honest, if you're 20 something and you're and you're going to Dallas to have fun, then we're losing you slowly but surely. You will leave this city because you don't have a place to identify with. Um, the joke when I moved here with my husband, who I was married at the time, I was like, I'd hate to be single in this city. Those are conversations we have to have in Fort Worth to have a, a thriving workplace and a place that people want to live, work, and play. 
Oh my god. I didn't know that people considered West 7th to be like an exciting entertainment district. Do people consider West 7th to be exciting and Well, I mean, she's making the argument no. Um, I kind of, I, I feel like I take offense to that statement. Like, as a local <laughs> artist, as someone who's been in the music scene here for a long time, um, there is a great music scene here. I love the Fort Worth music scene. And obviously the pandemic has like changed some things and it's, I'm still curious to see what this the rest of this year is going to look like who kind of comes out of the woodwork and stuff. But like she's implying that Fort Worthians don't have anything to do here in Fort Worth. And so that everyone's just going to Dallas to do stuff. Right. But and like, that's not true. Well, yeah. I mean, that's why I think it's hilarious that she's like, we need an entertainment district outside of West seventh. And it's like, like who's hanging out in West seventh? Like, well, I mean, I a mean, lot of the, a lot of the, the wealthy people like, yeah. Her, I guess. Yeah. You know, and, but and like, TCU I mean, but what about and... South Main and, and Fairmount? And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, there are other places that, that people hang out that are fun. You know, we used to work in those areas. Yeah. So I just think it's really ironic, I guess. Like, I mean, what type of, like, I'm, I, I, I'm just wondering, like, I mean, obviously, like, she would prefer to hang out somewhere like West 7th. And if she can't go to West 7th, then she's going to Dallas. But I feel like they're, are other there's other places that people go so oh. so i don't know i don't know i just feel like she kind of glossed over like all of the hard work that's been going into to building up you know fairmount and magnolia and south main, and south main. yeah because people are doing a lot of hard work over there so. yeah and she didn't even bring that up yeah um like they don't exist it's <laughs> like she's not in touch with the city like, almost like she's maybe a yuppie <laughs> She's a well, millennial, I though. Just talk to you. We'll talk <laughs> right, about in a minute. I think your question was about young professionals. We have to give them opportunities to grow and be promoted. And I will tell you, as somebody who worked in the corporate world for thirty years, I mean, I didn't look like uh, the normal executive. Didn't wear a blue suit and have a little button-down tie. But somebody early on said, "She, she's a square pig, but maybe she doesn't need to fit in a round hole." We have amazing young African American and Latino professionals that are graduating from school here, and they can't find a job, and they are leaving because they don't feel valued we need to change that we need to change the culture so i just want to take the moment she's she's dropped it a few times now her 30 years experience at working for at&t um i just wanted so i i, I was educated by a friend of mine uh dustin from the jerry jonestown massacre podcast me and him spoke on the phone the other day maybe he doesn't want to no no i, I think i think i think he does i think he's made these these opinions already clear on the air okay um but he he worked for deborah um, and so he worked for AT&T while she was in charge of it. And he saw, does he work there now? Yeah, I believe he still does. Oh, um, I think, I think I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know. Um, but anyways, he was like, look, this is kind of what she did to the company. And, you know, she, all this talk about presenting herself as a, you know, I don't want to even use the term progressive because she's not even really presenting herself as that. But I guess as a liberal, as a Democrat, as someone who's for the working class, I mean, what he was saying was that she pretty much just like tried to screw the worker at AT&T. She um, she tried to break up unions when there was movements for unionization. Um, she was constantly had opportunities to like have programs and and certain things that would incentivize more workers of color and more more uh lower paying workers jobs and that sort of thing and she essentially what he was describing to me is like took those funds and allocated them elsewhere 
which is just a very strange thing to do if you really do believe uh, in in the working man per se. So I just wanted to bring that up or because working it, woman or working. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Or um, working person or working person. Exactly. Every, all inclusive workers. Um, so I don't know. That that was some, I didn't know. I I had no you know clue about how what she did or didn't do at AT and T. But that was something that I learned. I felt like it would at least bring it to our listeners' attention. You know, take that for what it's worth. Whatever you think it's worth. It's an anecdotal opinion. Um, but it is from someone. She's throwing out all of this experience doing this thing. It might be nice to know, like, well, what is the thing that you're talking about? That you have all this experience in. So we'll let it. We'll let it keep going. I want to move now to some questions on economic and workforce development. Mm -hmm. uh, if someone were to ask you, what's your one big idea for uh, recruiting businesses, the one thing that the city does not do now that it should, what would you tell them, Ms. Parker? We need to go on a roadshow across this country and sell the vision and mission. Of <laughs> what? 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 A roadshow? Like an antique roadshow? What? Oh, okay. I let, okay. Not just elected leadership. We have amazing business leaders that have built incredible companies here in Fort Worth. Maybe they grew up in corporate America. You need to on a, on a plane, go to places like Portland and Detroit and Seattle, where they don't have the same business-friendly climate and attract them to come to a place like Fort Worth. It's absolutely critical. And the other thing I would just tell you, now is the time for us to reevaluate everything coming out of COVID-19. What relationships do we need to enhance with the chambers? What relationships do we need to have economic development at the city of Fort Worth? And importantly, who would we not tap to be on that plane with us to sell the story of Fort Worth, Texas? So this one is easy for me because I was on many merger teams that looked at bringing uh, where we would locate our business. Businesses are looking at things like, you know, what is the climate? What's the employee base like? What's education like? What's housing like? What's transportation like? We need to, number one, go and look at all of those things and then go out and sell this plan. Businesses, when they come here, they want to know, can they hire the right people? We need to be working with the schools to make sure that happens. Can they, uh, can they get their employees good houses? We need to be working with the real estate industry and builders to make that happen. Can they get to work? We need multimodal mass transportation. We need visionary leadership to sell this city. So we know okay. workforce development. I, I, I actually agree with Deborah here. Like mm. I thought her answer was, was a lot stronger than- To go on a road show. Go on a road show. And you know what? I mean, first of all, like the state of Texas already does that. Like when I, I was in a class um, with a professor at UTA who- um, had done his PhD at UC Cincinnati. And uh, we were talking, I, think, I don't remember what we were talking about. We are talking about unions or something like that one day. Um, and he said that um, in, like, in other parts of the country, like Texas is constantly like, advertising for corporations to move their businesses to Texas. And they do it under the guise of, hey, we don't really have a lot of regulations here yeah. for business. You exactly. know, you can treat your workers however you want. If yep. you want to underpay workers, that's fine. We're we're not a right to strike state. Like right to work. Right to yeah, like you um you can do whatever you want and treat your workers however and workers, you yeah. know, like if they strike you can just fire them. Yeah. We don't have real unions here. This would be a great place for yeah. you to come, you know. Yeah. So like A that's like already happening. Maybe not where maybe Fort Worth itself isn't doing that but that's not necessarily like a positive thing like the yeah. way at least the way that in which it's already happening um because we want you know texas to have opportunities to find employers that are going to actually you know value workers yeah. <laughs> which kind of comes back to the you know how we started this podcast off but yeah i don't know i just i thought deborah's ideas here were a lot stronger yeah than leader Maddie's. leadership is going to draw more attention and attraction and and possibilities rather than going around and 
I don't know that that to me running around the country and being like, please open businesses in my city. Like that just seems really weird to me. Like rather project strong leadership from here and be like, Hey, we're welcoming everybody or whatever. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Development is a huge concern as you both just mentioned uh, in recruiting companies, but also in helping businesses to thrive uh, as mayor. How would you push to uh, help develop the workforce that's needed compared to where we are now? Ms. Peoples. So that one's easy. Number one, it starts with partnering with our school systems and partnering with businesses to talk about what kinds of opportunities they're going to have and then making sure that we're working with our schools so that our young leaders are coming out with the skills to take these jobs. That hasn't always happened. And that's one of the things we need to do. But it's also visiting and being and understanding a business's needs and not just their needs in five years, what their needs are going to be in 10 or 20 years. I can tell you very quickly, working at AT AT&T, we went from telephone lines, public lines, to data, to UVerse and beyond. And we didn't do that. Uh, we had to have a long-term plan. And that's what I want to have here uh, with the city. Before we get to Maddie, like, this is just my whole thing. Like, and I've said it a few times on the air, but like our whole education system, at least in this state, I can't speak to other states, is all about creating a productive worker. And those are the skills that you need to learn when you leave school. Not how to be happy or think critically, how to think critically about the world around you, not what is going to be healthy for you in the long run, mentally or physically. Um, those things aren't really encouraged or learned. We're not teaching people how to live life and how to like be successful people and be happy. Um, we're just teaching people how to make yourself sellable to the, the, the corporations. Yeah. And so then you're a competitive worker. Capitalist uh, realism. Yeah, it's all about capitalism. It's all about the workforce. Every time education has been brought up it's so far in this forum, we're only halfway through it. We're not going to be able to get through the whole thing before we're done with this podcast. But if you want to finish it, you'll have the link below. Um, but every time education has been brought up, they've been talking about, you know, the worker side of it or right. how productive are they going to be? Are they going to be competitive? And it's just like, it's just so sad to me when I have these 16, 17 year old students. And, and, and they're asking me, like, why, why are we having to do X, Y, or Z for this star test or for this SAT or the ACT or the TSI or this? I'm having to give my kids math and English college classes, even though I'm a history teacher, because, uh, oh, you're done with the star test now. So your year is over. You don't have anything to do, which, of course, I do. I've got a ton of stuff I'm still trying to teach these kids. But no, nope, I got to give them these English classes so they can get college credit. And oh, not no, 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 not credit. So they just get. TSI credit so they don't have to take the TSI which we gave a few months ago and these kids already took it so <laughs> it's uh even you know Deborah's the one on, on the left hand side left side of, of all this and even even she is still keeping that framing which maybe I'm naive to expect otherwise um of of just the worker and I I want people to grow up and be happy and I want people to learn how to how to take care of yourself and your community and your loved ones uh from school not just how to be a good worker. I don't know. Let's see what Maddie says. Is there something specific you think needs to change in terms of the, the city's relationship with the school districts? That it's oh, absolutely. A absolutely. And, and let me tell you, I, I, my mother always said reading is fundamental. So trust me, I get reading programs, but we need to be sitting down with the school system to talk about curriculum and what we can do to help support them so that we are creating programs so that our students come out prepared to think critically and take these jobs. Ms. Parker. Um, so I, ironically, just two weeks ago, we re-signed our MOU with Fourth ISD for the Tarrant 2 and 3 partnership. 
those relationships are happening right now. And I'll continue that from a bully pulpit in the mayor's office. We know in Tarrant County, only 23% of your students are ever making it to a two-year or four-year credential. If they are a low-income kiddo, it is 14%. Student success is our success in this community. We have to talk about it in a way that is pro-kid, get the adults out of the way, no more fighting. I don't care if your student goes to a charter school, a public school, private school, or is homeschooled. Every single student deserves access to a quality education in Tarrant County. And until we take that responsibility seriously, our economic development efforts will continue to stall. But the good news is there's answers here. If you infuse the business community into the K-12 system, which what you're doing with T3, uh, it's the best practice model across this country, and you ask those companies, how many engineers, how many floor mechanics do you need? And they will tell you exactly, and you recruit those students from our inner city high schools. That's how you change generational poverty, and that's how you change workforce training in Tarrant County. You don't want to bring a profit motive. And it's where I'm trying to make money, which is, again, what private companies are only exist to do is to make money. Bring them into the school system to try and help fix things. They are just going to try and exploit the students and the teachers and the administrators so they can make money from them. So, uh, no, I disagree, Maddie. Um, I'm sorry. I get very worked up. about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, and... I don't know. Like I have kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a teacher, but I have worked um, with with homeless youth um, in the city of Fort Worth. And there are all of these different programs that are, you know, put together to, you know, like help, you know, these young people find something to make a livable wage or whatever. And and, uh, you know, I mean, the options are are pretty slim. You know, it's like, oh, do you want to be do you want to get a forklift certification? No. OK. Um, do you want to learn how to be a medical secretary? No. OK. Um, do you want to learn how to do like this job that nobody wants to do? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and it's like it's like, you know, I mean, obviously, like not everybody does want to go to college. Um sure. And that's fine. I'm not everybody should go to college. You know, not everybody wants to do that. But I do think that it's kind of sad, in my opinion, that it's like, oh, you don't want to go to college, then you should get a forklift certification, you know. And it's like yeah. these it's like the, the options are like a lot, a lot slimmer. Yeah. And um, it, it, I always felt kind of bad, like, you know, talking to like this young person who maybe was more creative and interested and you know um i mean we kind of act like you know like you know i mean you're a musician you know it's like you might have a young person who's interested in music and you know we tell people no like that's not gonna you know make you any sort of like real salary you know but like there there are jobs that are you know relating to like producing music or mm -hmm. even like producing other types of creative content. Um, Absolutely, running and, audio or running sound. I have so many friends that are sound guys. That's a good part of. Yeah, you can the, make a you can make a living career. off of stuff like that. So I just think that it it's it the reason that the options are shitty and the way that they are is because we're bringing these corporations in and yep. saying, okay, what kind of jobs do you have available? Oh, a forklift driver. Okay, let's see if we can get these disadvantaged youth mm -hmm. to become forklift drivers, you yeah. know? Um, and I, I just hate that the options are the way that they are. And I, I didn't really yeah. ever consider until just this moment that it's because these are what these corporations yeah, are, it's because are asking for. And we're just funneling people exactly. to them like they're yes. cattle. Yes. And I think that's ridiculous. Yes. And it's the same corporations too, but universities too. We, we've, we've bought in the high school system 
has bought into the fact that we need to serve universities and their needs, um, which which we don't. That's not why public schools were created to serve universities. They were created to serve their communities yeah. and, and, and the youth of those communities. And like, if they want to go to school, great. Should we prepare them for school? Absolutely. But we don't need to be funneling them like cattle into the either the university or the corporate system. Yeah. Um, and not even really a corporate system into the warehousing system. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because we here we are talking about like how can we like the question is like how can we like benefit, you know, schools and um, in such a way that it's going to create people that are going to like benefit our community when they leave school. And here Maddie Parker you know, just not even a few minutes ago was like, oh, well, we need more like creative spaces in the city. So, you know, people don't have to get bored with West 7th and, and go to Dallas. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, like we do need more spaces like that in the yeah. city. But you're not thinking about how we can bring programs in that are going to yeah. help enhance young people's creativity yeah. to where they can have that type of benefit to the city. You're looking for floor mechanics. Yeah. Right. Like maybe it would be good to fund the arts. Yeah. You know, 100%. like you want to make this a desirable place to live. Bring arts into the community. Yeah, bring, like, fund artists, you know. And let kids decide what they want to yes. do. Yes. Like quit telling them you should be a forklift driver or you should be a mechanic. Like that is so lame in my opinion. Yeah. You know, obviously some people want to do that and that's fine. But like it should be their option to do yeah. that. Not like, oh, well, you know, you're going to end up washing dishes yeah. or you're going to end up homeless. And Otherwise, like, I mean, that's the thing. And, and we'll wrap this up. We'll do one more question after this and then we'll probably wrap up the podcast. But um, I mean, that's the whole thing is, is that um, oh I lost my point. Oh, well, well, I have a point. So, okay. like, it's not even, um, you know, it's not even that those like those positions are particularly lame or whatever, you know, because like, I mean, that's just like something that I wouldn't be able to do um, or something that I wouldn't want to do. And it's something that I see a lot of young people that are homeless that I've worked with who are in these really dire situations and they didn't even want to do it. Um, and I think that it's also out. It, it's it sounds quote lame, which isn't the right term. To, you know, no, no jobs are lame if a person wants to do that job and needs that job, you sure. know, um, but it's it's kind of like you know our e our economy is is more and more you know based on you know these like big tech industries right and a lot of young people their desire in life is to be a content creator on youtube mm -hmm. become a youtuber mm -hmm. or whatever um and there's a lot of people who have all you know millennials as i guess maddie parker maybe would know something mm -hmm. about since she's a millennial um we all have to have a side hustle to get by, mm -hmm. you know, or many of us do, or many of us are trying to. And that side hustle is usually something more, more creative, um, leaning more towards like some type of design, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe doing interior decorating or having an Etsy, having an Etsy uh, account yeah. or, um, or having a YouTube channel or a Pinterest or a Pinterest or, you know, a lot of people get into OnlyFans. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's still a creative outlet in some ways or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, but I think it's just, that you know the jobs that like we're trying to like funnel people into um are maybe old economy type jobs mm -hmm. and like we're in this new economy mm -hmm. you know and so i think that if we are as a city going to um you know start pushing young people into careers and if we do want to have more creative spaces we should be um i think listening to the young people and and what they want to do yeah instead of being like hey like, let me cattle or, you know, like funnel you into this position mm -hmm. like your cattle 
and get you doing some kind of floor mechanic position, mm -hmm. even though you don't know anything about mechanics mm -hmm. and maybe have never held a socket wrench in your entire life and have no clue like what this is. This is a job that's available and you should, you know, form your own yeah worldview to get that, into to get this to job yeah. you know and that's the yeah absolutely and i'm not saying that we should be <laughs> i'm not saying the city should be supporting people's you know giving them grants to do only fans content like that's not what i'm saying but i'm saying yeah, yeah. that like what we should be considering is that you know there are other jobs besides just these mechanic yeah. forklift you know secretarial work yeah like, i mean you know again, data just... entry like that doesn't appeal to everybody yeah I mean, and that's to me, like, it just comes back to the education system and how we measure success at the school level. We measure that success through test scores. And those test scores are based on, on, on nothing, essentially. They're completely arbitrary. Our grading systems in the schools are completely arbitrary. Every teacher grades differently on a different scale. Every student learns completely differently at a different rate. Um, and these tests only measure some people that are testable, you know, and, and the other, you know, 35, 40% of students who don't test well or who, who doesn't work well doing the ABCD, you know, sort of stuff, um, they just fail. Uh, and we just kind of, that's just part of the system. That's just how it works. And that's just okay. Um, but then the schools are measured on that and we go, okay, oh, they did a good job because they had this, a less number of people fail. Um, none of that takes into account, are these students actually learning anything? And are they going to be able to, you know, think for themselves when they become an adult and become a healthy person? Like to me, it, it becomes down to, you know, what is freedom? You know, and we talk about the pursuit of happiness in this conflict, right? Right. That's like one of our big things. Uh, what is it? Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, liberty is freedom, right? If you want to say it that way. Well, giving human beings the freedom to pursue their own happiness is to me... <laughs> what education should be about and for should be about empowering all of us to figure out what we all want for ourselves and then to give us the abilities to do those um that might not mean working at lockheed martin building you know f-16s that that might not mean working at the warehouse i mean i'm not saying that these jobs are bad and that people shouldn't do these i'm just saying that education in general shouldn't be about preparing you for that but, but about preparing you to be you know it, it should be about helping people person. decide like what they want to do, yeah. you know, and like yeah. how whatever that is, how can you whatever be, that is, you know, um, you know, like it, it should give people the tools to make their own decisions exactly. in life. And that's, and that's really what. Yeah, that's that's what, freedom. That's freedom. And that's what it should really be about. Um, and I think that it's sad and, and it shouldn't just be um, for wealthy kids or kids that are more privileged. You know, it should be for you know, kids who maybe are disadvantaged um, and they should have the same opportunities, you know, like mm -hmm. going through a public educational system. Absolutely. And it shouldn't be the system being like, oh, well, you did bad on this test. That means that you're going to be a floor mechanic yeah, and exactly. you have no choice in that. You know, you can choose from like X, Y, or Z job. You can get on with this, um, this employer. You know, we're going to put you in this one position. Um, and then telling people to do jobs that like you wouldn't be happy doing yourself or that you wouldn't have your own kids do, mm -hmm. you know, like that's where it gets into like this whole like savior mentality, like, oh, like we're going to help these poor kids of color mm -hmm. and these, you know, poor 
white kids and we're going to put them into these jobs and they're going to be great. And it's jobs that my I wouldn't let my own kid do for any long period of time. But it could be good for these kids yeah. because they don't have <laughs> any other options. You it know? might work for us. It might <laughs> work for them. <laughs> for them, exactly. Like, my kid's yeah. too good for this, but this yeah. poor kid will be just fine. You yeah. know, And then be surprised when people don't want to take that job and when they don't want to take that job, then we label them as lazy. When it really is just that they have standards for themselves, even though you, as a wealthy person, don't believe that they should, that they should lower their standards simply because they're poor. Mm -hmm. And that's not how, that's not how humans are. That's not how humans are. No. It's not how we think. No, put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see, and see how it feels. Yeah. Like just because somebody's poor doesn't mean they need to be treated like some sort of victim or, you know, not be given the same opportunities that other people have. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about when we use the word equity. (laughs) And maybe that's why so many people of a certain political party are against equity because they think that poor people shouldn't have standards. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to how you view human beings and what your what your perception of human nature is. Yeah. And, and I you, wouldn't normally yeah. use the term poor, but I grew up poor and have struggled with many of these issues myself. So I use the term poor. And when I say it, I'm really talking about my own life yeah. <laughs> and the people that I grew up with. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're past our mark now. So we're not actually not going to field any more questions. We've, we've only made it about halfway through the thing, 36 minutes in. So if you would like to catch the last you know, 24 minutes or so, the, the link for you will be provided below. Of course, come up to your own conclusions about what they say, but we thought this would be a good exercise to kind of see what, what the candidates were saying. Yeah. Um, I feel like I learned a little bit about both of them. Yeah, I definitely did. And I haven't, I mean, these are two candidates that like I was never interested in in the first place. So I don't um, know very much about them personally. Um, so I have learned a few things about them. And, you know, I think there's some some differences, but I also see a lot of similarities that yeah. I'm not particularly thrilled about. Yeah. Um, either way, I am still sad that it's not Ian Zeta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, hopefully, hopefully she'll she'll come out doing something awesome here in the near future. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so feel free to hit us up on on Twitter. Let us know what you think of this episode. If you agree or disagree with our takes, we'd love to hear from you at FW Review. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks. We'll probably look at the election. Oh, let me let me run down the, the dates real quick um, for and it's in it's, this is in the show notes, but I just want to let everybody know um, again that uh, early voting is coming up starting on Monday, probably when this podcast will come out. And I can't find my show notes. Where is it? Here we go. Um, early voting starts on May 24th. And is going to run through the 30th. And then because we have Memorial Day, it's going to be not nothing going on that day. But then that Tuesday, June 1st, um, will be the last day of early voting. And then that Saturday, right after that, June 5th, will be the election day for the mayoral runoff and for the city council runoffs. So please, please go vote again. <laughs> if you voted the first time or even if you didn't vote the first time around, please, please go and vote because this election is going to even have less of a turnout. Yeah. Um. It, and it is going to be the deciding factor of, of who we get as mayor. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and what really sucks is that it really doesn't even come down. I mean, we have like a, a left leaning, you know, a candidate and we have a right leaning candidate. And, you know, like I wish that we could say like, oh, what, let's look at this last presidential election and 
the demographics of Fort Worth, and maybe that'll tell us a little bit about how this race is going to go. But because there's not the same number of people that mm. ever turn out for local no. races and as nobody they turned do presidential out. races. Yeah, anyways. Um, you know, uh, sadly, the people that do turn out, well, I mean, sad, depending on who you are, sadly, in my opinion, the people that do turn out tend to be the, you know, old-fashioned Republicans, you know, that are basically making all of our decisions for the rest of us in this community. So I think it's even more important if you are um, on the left or left-leaning, go. Yeah. Like, please. make it an event. Make, make it a date night. Make it or, or a date or day. If, yeah. you, if you don't have a ride to the poll and you need one, reach out to a friend or a buddy or reach out to us. We'll come and pick you up if you need it. For real, hit us up on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we will catch you next time. On the flip side. On the flip side.